to the Word this evening. Father, uh, we're grateful that we come together tonight for this service. And uh, we thank you, uh, Lord, for this morning. And um, thankful, Father, that you spoke to a lot of hearts. As you ministered to a lot of people as, I was, uh, as they came up and talked to me afterwards today. And I'm thankful for that. And that was all you. And it was you working uh, through the life of a very special couple whose life, uh, Lord, just uh, promotes the gospel and uh, brings glory to your name and points people to Jesus Christ. And we're honored by that, and we thank you for that. And as we come together tonight, we just we want to praise you for the souls that are being saved, not only in this ministry, but around the world that we partner with. And some we, we partner with in our missionary support, and others we, we have a lot more invested in um, uh, because they're such a vital part of our ministry. And we thank God for, for all that you're doing across the world. Uh, thankful for our Hope House. And, uh, Lord, for the guys who are there, it's good to see Tyler back with us, and, and we praise God for that. And uh, we've got another young gentleman that's just started uh, this weekend, and we're thankful for Michael. And, uh, Lord, we're just praying for great things in their life, and we're praying for Brandon as he gets ready to graduate in the next few weeks. We're praying, Lord, your hand to be upon his life. And <clears throat> thank you for answering prayers for him. And uh, Lord, we, we know that we've got a lot of people that are dealing with different things, some with recent lost loved ones, some who have very serious medical issues, uh, some that are uh, overcoming a lot of personal things in their life. Um, Father, I, I pray for those, and I pray, God, that you'll get glory in every situation and that uh, hearts are restored toward you. And then I pray for us tonight as we gather together. Uh, Lord, use your word to help your people tonight. And uh, may we seek your blessing and your power and your will in everything that we do. And I uh, pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified in this service. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 30 this evening. I had mentioned this morning that probably one of the things that I uh, deal with the most from individuals is folks who get discouraged about different things in their life. And we're all prone to that, amen? We're all prone to that. And uh, tonight, I wanted to deal with the subject. The Lord really just directed my heart early in the week tonight. Uh, to uh, deal with this subject of being encouraged. And I was, uh, thought it was very fitting this morning. I had a number of questions to ask Larry uh, today. And uh, just for the sake of time, we had to, we had to knock a lot of those out. Um, but uh, when, when I think of his ministry, I had to ask him, how do you, how do you stay encouraged over all those years? Um, one of the... Uh, the greatest encouragers are people. They're also the greatest discouragers, right? You, uh, you, we can't live without people. And you certainly can't minister without people, right? And that goes for all of us. And, and all of us in our daily life, I say all of us, most of us, predominantly all of us, you deal with people. You deal with various things. And there's a lot of reasons that people get discouraged. I can't pinpoint just those things. But I, I do want to say this tonight. I think this is extremely important. You can be very faithful in your time in the Word, and your time in church, and you can be very faithful in a lot of things. And still, if you're not careful, you can become very discouraged, even to the point of being depressed. And that's the truth. The main individual in 1 Samuel 30 tonight is David. 
David is not king of Israel yet. He was anointed to become king in 1 Samuel 16, but at this time, Saul is still king of Israel. And we're a number of years removed from David versus Goliath. A lot of years have passed. David is still a young man, and he still strives to be faithful to the Lord. He's still, every day, he strives to be faithful to God. He's leading 600 mighty men, their wives and their children. He's invested in them. He's got a lot of responsibility, um, and he seeks to honor God in everything that he does. That said, there's times where he still gets away from the Lord. And before we point fingers at him, we all have to look at ourselves and realize it's the same in our life. There's times he gets away from the Lord. Throughout this book, we, we see a comparison of why God saw David as a man after his own heart and why God got to the point that he was rejecting Saul from being king. Saul, it was always somebody else's fault. David, when he messed up, he never blamed anyone else. He says, you know what, I messed up. And he puts himself under the mercy of God. Confesses his sin, repents, and seeks to get right. As he's traveling along, as he's as we're traveling along through his life, he has several encounters with Saul. Finally, you know, he told he told Jonathan, he says, "Listen, your dad wants to kill me." And Saul, uh, Jonathan, argued with him, "No, that can't be. If I if that was true, I'd have known that." And they had this whole ordeal, and finally, it gets to the point where Jonathan goes to David. He says, "Yeah, you're right. You better go." And so, for a number of years, he really lives in exile. He's traveling. He's staying at different places. He a, becomes a nomad. The future king of Israel, the slayer of Goliath, the one who they sing about has slain his ten thousands. He's become a nomad and he's moving around from place to place. That in itself will discourage you. Right? And then... As he's moving from place to place, he keeps having these encounters as Saul and his men, usually thousands of men, they are hundreds and thousands of men, they, they travel and they're looking for David, they're hunting him, and they get to the point that uh, they, they're pursuing and they're getting close, and David sees what is happening and he's able to sneak into the camp and, and his men, David's men are saying, look, God has delivered you, your enemy into your hand. Rise up and kill him. And David says, I am not going to do that. I will not lay my hand upon the Lord's anointed. God can take care of him. There are times where people are in your life who discourage you. There are people in your life who rise up against you. And sometimes you want to take the matters in your own hands and the best thing for you to do is just leave it to the Lord. Amen. Just leave it to God. God can take care of it better than you can. You get to about chapter 26, and, and uh, there's Saul again. You know, Saul, they, he, he keeps coming in, and David says, What are you doing? Why are you doing this? I could have killed you easily. And Saul repents. He says, Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. I shouldn't do this. And he leaves, and it's not very long. His counselors, his own flesh, his own pride ends up getting angry, and he goes and chases them again. And this time... Abishai, one of David's closest and mightiest of men, goes with him. And again, there they are. They sneak into the camp while everyone's asleep. And Saul is in the trench and he has his spear stuck into the ground. Abner, his captain of his army, is right there. And David sneaks in there and he 
Abishai says, let me take, let me take it in. David, let me take care of it. I'll handle it for you. Let me smite him. He says, I promise you I won't have to do it twice. One blow and it's all over with. David says, no. That's the Lord's anointed. The Lord can take care of it if the Lord sees fit. He just grabs the spear. He goes on the other side. In the morning, he hollers out to Abner and he says, hey, Abner, you're not doing your job. Here's the king's spear. I could have easily killed him last night. And once again, Saul realizes he's wrong and he leaves. Gets to the point that David now goes to the land of the Philistines. He goes to Gath, the royal city of the Philistines. And he speaks with Achish, the king of Gath. Earlier, when, when David went to Achish, he went by himself. And he was going to join up with Achish and the Philistines. And, and he was foolish enough to go in there with Goliath's sword. Goliath's hometown. He's foolish enough to do that. Suddenly he realizes he's made a mistake, and so he begins to act mad. He begins to foam at the mouth and let spit run down his beard. And finally, Achish says, get this madman away from me. Get him out of here. Now he comes back, and this time he's got his mighty men. And he begins this relationship with Achish. And he comes to Achish, and he says, listen, we're not worthy to, to stay here in Gath. Give us a small town out in the country and let us go there. And let us live there. And so he gave them the town of Ziklag. He gives them the town of Ziklag. And so David and his men and their women and their children, they, they go to this town. And he begins to earn the trust of Achish. He even lies a little bit. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Achish asked him in verse 10, he says, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah and against the south of the Jeremelites and against the south of the Kenites. Remember those. Those are, the, the Jeremelites are descendants of Judah. That's David's. That's David's people. And those in the south of the Kenites, they're friends, they're friends of Judah. And David says in verse 11, David said, neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, lest they should tell on us, saying, so did David, and so will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. What he was doing is he made them think that he was killing their enemies that the Philistines' enemies were their enemies. In truth, in verse 8, he was going out and raiding the Philistines' enemies. And if there was anyone who, who could possibly go back and tell them what had happened, David silenced them. In verse 12, it says, And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him, therefore he shall be my servant. And you get over to chapter 29 and the Philistines have gathered together their armies to Aphek and the Israelites are there and there's about to be a battle. And Achish is gone and Achish tells David, he says, you and your men, you're going to come fight with me. As a matter of fact, David had, uh, had, Achish had so much confidence in him that David uh, was made his bodyguard, the king's bodyguard. And as they're walking along, the Philistines, their, their princes say, their, their, their mighty men say, why is, why is David and his men going with us? This is not a wise thing. And Achish wanted them to go, but he finally gave in to his advisors and said, listen, I believe you, you've never done anything to cause me to doubt you. But I don't, you can't go with us. And the reason for that is this. When they'd have got in the battle, David would have turned against the Philistines. He would have fought for Israel. But it wasn't God's will for Israel to win this particular battle. 
David never lost a battle to the Philistines. And this time, God kept him out of the battle. Because what happens in chapter 31, God takes, God takes Saul. God always knows what he's doing. So they return to Ziklag. And this is where we're going to be tonight in chapter 30. Let's begin in verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. Now, let me say this. From Aphek, chapter 29, verse 1, to Ziklag was approximately 60 miles in distance. David and his men made the journey and arrived on the third day. They had to be moving pretty quickly. And when they get there, the Bible tells us that the Amalekites had invaded. When David and them get there, they don't know who exactly it was. We see that because the scripture tells us. But when they get there, they find their town their, where they live smitten and burned with fire. And it says in verse 2 that they had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. All of their wives, all of their children were gone. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever wept so much you just can't? Have you ever cried so much you just can't cry anymore? Imagine going home tonight. Imagine coming home on a Monday night and your house is burned. You pray to God your wife and your children are not in there. But you're looking for them and you can't find them anywhere. They've disappeared. They are gone. That'll change your day. Verse 5, David's two wives were taken captives, the Hinnom, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. The 600 mighty men who were with him just lost everything. Are you with me? But they weren't the only ones who were hurting. You know who else was hurting? David was hurting. He was hurting. They are, he is greatly distressed. He is discouraged. He is burdened. And to add on top of it, it says... For the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. When people hurt, they can say some ugly things. They can do some, they can do some ugly things. But he's not, they're not the only ones hurting. He is also hurting. He is struggling, he is troubled because his home is also empty. His home has been burned with fire. But everybody looks at him and they're ready to stone him and kill him, the one who they have devoted their life to and has followed and given. I'm going to tell you something. People's heart can change quickly, amen? People can love you one moment and hate you the next moment. So what do you do? Every man, uh, the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 
And that's what I want to deal with tonight. How did David face that and strengthen himself in the Lord his God? Because you're going to get discouraged. And people are going to trouble you. People are going to do things and you're wondering why are they doing that? Sometimes I'm preaching and I'm, I have prayed and I've studied and I've given everything I've got and I preach and it feels like half the people aren't listening and you're preaching and you're discouraged. And you're living your daily life and you're trying to take care of your responsibilities and you're living for the Lord and you want to honor God but there are some things that enter your life and it discourages you and it troubles you. How do we keep going forward? How do we stay encouraged? Because if we keep our eyes on people, your emotions are always going to be up and down. Can I get amen? You're going to be up and down. And that is where most of us get so troubled. Our eyes are on people and their reactions and their actions and their words and what they're doing. We keep our eyes on people and therefore we're always up and down. We're on fire, we're excited, we're depressed, we're discouraged. We're all over the place. So how does, how does David, in the midst of all of that, how does David, when he is closest people the ones that he has spent his life the last several years with now are ready to stone him, ready to betray him, ready to leave him because they are so hurt themselves and he has no time to grief. He has no time to deal with his own hurt because he has responsibilities. How does he keep going? Well, he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. How does he do that? Well, verse 8. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overcome them? How did he, how did he encourage himself in the Lord? He didn't get on the telephone. He didn't get to other people and say, Hey, did you hear what they're about to do? Did you hear what those people said? He just got, I, I imagine he fell on his face and just cried out to God and said, God, what do I need to do? That is the first step, always, that is the first step. You can, you can gall people and you can ask for counsel and you can gossip and you can tell them about this situation and what this person said and what this person did. And some people agree with you and some people disagree with you and therefore your emotions are always up and down. And a lot of times what happens is we're only trying to find the people who agree with us. David didn't try to stand up for himself. He didn't try to handle the situation himself. He just began to inquire the Lord, God, what, what do I need to do? Somebody took our wives, somebody took our children, somebody burned our house with fire. Shall I pursue them? If I do, will I overtake them? What is it that I need to do? Ian e. Bounds said, the most important lesson we can learn is learning how to pray. It's the first thing we should do. It's usually the last thing that we do. But we seek the Lord and we pray, God, what is it that I need to do? Secondly, we see he relied upon the promises. Let's finish up verse 8. The Lord answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. I want to ask you this question. When you pray, how do you seek answers from God? There's different ways that God's going to answer. A lot of us, we're often guilty when we pray. We're waiting for the feeling that God leads us into. Well, I feel like God wants me to do this. You ever been guilty of that? I've been guilty of that, I'll just tell you. I feel like this is what God wants me to do. 
my feelings have led me astray a time or two. I feel like God wants me to do this. I have counseled with people over the years, and they said, I believe God wants me to do this. And I say, where's that in the Bible? That's contrary to the that's contrary to Bible. I'm pretty sure God doesn't want you to move in with that person if you're not married. I'm pretty sure. You may feel like that's what God's leading you to do, but I'm pretty sure it's not what God wants you to do. It's contrary to his word. I feel like God wants. Well, I think so-and-so, I prayed about this, and -and so-and-so said this. And I think that's what I need to do. Well, maybe they're led of the Spirit, maybe they're not. How can we confirm what God wants us to do? Well, where do you go for answers? David's prayer was, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord's answer was, pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them. Boy, that's good. But the interesting about, part about his answer is that God doesn't instruct David which direction to pursue. Y'all see that anywhere? He doesn't say, yeah, pursue them. They went that way. He doesn't say that. There is room there that God wants to lead us. And there is oftentimes there's room for reason. But I'll give you something even better. He adds a promise that David did not ask for. The Lord says, pursue for thou shalt surely overtake them. And without fail, recover all. David didn't ask that. David was just worried about fighting the battle. But when we got there, or how, what's going to be the condition of our wives and children? David didn't ask that. But God says, not only will you overtake them, you're going to recover all of them. Now, did God say that? Yeah, he said that. It is with the promise of the word of God that David is strengthened and therefore pursues. How do you find your answers? Pray. Seek God. God, what do you want me to do about this situation? Do I need to go? And you don't have to come to the pastor and say, God, what, uh, Pastor, what do you think I should do about this? How about getting in the Bible And praying, God, give me the answer. Show me so that I can lean upon your word. That's what your word says. That is the promise that you have given me. And I'm going to hold on to that. And because of that, I can be encouraged because your word, you are faithful and you cannot lie. And your word will lead me. You'd be encouraged not by by joining in and gossiping about other people. Take it to the Lord. Lord, what do I need to do? And then get in the word of God and let God lead you and may his word confirm in your heart what you need to do. That'll encourage you. Thirdly, look at verse 9. God says, shall I pursue, verse 8? God says, pursue. So you know what David did in verse 9? He went. He pursued. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Bezor where those that were left behind stayed. Now my understanding, the brook Bezor is 16 more miles from Ziklag. Remember in the last couple of days they've traveled 60 miles They get there and they have all of the emotion and the trauma that wears you out. It it wipes you where you have no energy. You are completely wiped out. And God says, pursue after them. And David wastes no time and the men with him waste no time. They're ready to go. And so they are traveling another 16 miles. Verse 10, David pursued. He and 400 men... For 200 behind, abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. Say, what does it mean they were faint? It means they were dead tired. 
You ever been dead tired? Pray. How can you be encouraged? Pray. Trust the promises of the word of God and then get busy pursuing. Why? Because you have to do something with what you're learning. If all you do is sit there and listen, I mean, we're, we're information overload these days. We, we come to church, we hear preaching. Some of you go to school every day, you hear preaching. We're in our car, we're listening to preaching. You go to FBI on Tuesday night, you got preaching. You got different, you're discipling someone, you're in the word, you've got all of this stuff. Some, at some point, you got to do something with all that stuff. How did, how did Larry Culp say he stayed encouraged? He remembered, correct me if I'm wrong, Larry, he remembered what God did for him. And he went out looking for people that God wants to do that for. Is that a good summary? So you get all of this stuff, and now, now go. Go do something with it. I prayed about it. God's affirmed in his word what he's going to do. As a matter of fact, he gave me even more than I was expecting. And now I need to apply that and go do something with it. I start pursuing. Look what happens. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. When you get discouraged, you just don't want to get up. You just don't want to do anything. I just want to stay at home today. I just want to stay in the bed. I just want to get away from everybody else. You ever feel that way? That's when you discourage. You may be, dep you may be at the point depressed. I just want to go to bed early. I want to get away from everybody. That's the point I am. And I found this to be true. It rarely ever helps. Usually I stay in that dark void. But if I get dressed and I say, I've got this to do, and if I don't do it, I'm just going to fall further behind, and that's going to put more pressure and more stress and more discouragement, I just better get to it and start pursuing. Commit thy thoughts unto the Lord. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. A wise man named Solomon wrote that. Some, some will go with you. Some will faint and will have to stay back. Say, what do I do? You keep going. You keep pursuing. But where am I going? Well, you'll have to keep praying and you'll have to keep trusting the Lord to guide your steps. Most of you know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Right? Trust him. Start pursuing. God's leading this direction. I'm just going to go and see what God will do. Well, God does something in verse 11 through 15. You see, it's providence. Read with me. And they found an Egyptian in the field. Boy, isn't that something? Say, how'd they know the Egyptian was there? They didn't. God just led them right to him. Does it say this? It says, and they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread, and he did eat, and they made him drink water. Why? I don't know. The guy needed help. The guy's actually sick, and his master, who is an Amalekite, they find out, left him for dead. So they see him. He needs some help. And so they stop and they offer him some bread and they offered him some water and they took care of him. You might want to pause when God puts something in your, someone in your path that you didn't expect to show up. Hello? 
They're not looking for an Egyptian. They're not looking for one guy. But that one guy has the answers that they need. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drank any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. He made an, we made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. Boy, that would have caused those men to perk up. You burn Ziklag with fire. And David said unto him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou would neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. Sometime that person who is hurting themselves could be your greatest blessing and could help you get to what you're trying to pursue after. So be careful not to just push somebody aside. I'll give you one. Several years ago, it was my birthday. It was on a Wednesday night service. And I knew something was up because there was more people there than were normally there on a Wednesday night. And at that time, I was bivocational. I worked full-time construction built houses, sweated. This is, my birthday is in July, so you can imagine what construction like is in July. It's hot, it's sweaty, you get up and you go early in the morning trying to beat the heat. It's difficult. I have four rowdy boys at home. I'm exaggerating a little bit there. But I got four boys at home. Their mother is taking care of them. Somewhere in that, Larry, you got to find a place to study. You got to find time to visit. You got to find time to minister to people. You're trying to do that and you're loving every moment of it. But it was a particular time where I was extremely discouraged. Very discouraged. To the point you think, am I really doing any good? Just very discouraged. And there was this guy who had started visiting our church, and I'd gone to visit him, spent some time with him, got to know him a little bit better. And on that Wednesday night, right before I got to church, he called me and told me that his daughter had just tried to commit suicide. And she lives down in Prattville, down near Montgomery. And he was extremely concerned. I think that they had had some words the day before. She had tried to commit suicide. He called me and told me that right before I went into service. Well, it's Wednesday night, and uh, to be honest with you, I was burdened for this guy, and I really wanted to get there as soon as possible. So I preached a very simple, very short message. And uh, while I'm preaching, this person opens up the back door of the church and comes and sits down. I've never seen this person before. come in, they sit in, the, they sit in the back row. And I'd gone over some prayer requests and uh, preached a very simple, short message. I got cut my message down, preached. Everybody came up to me afterwards and, and I told them, I said, listen, I, I'm going to be short. I need to, get, I need to get out of here. I need to go visit this guy. He is, he is broken. He needs help. And they came up to me afterwards. They had this big party planned. They had cheesecake. Praise the Lord. They had cheesecake. They had all these different things. That's why there's more people there than normal. They'd come to celebrate my birthday. And God bless them for that. That was a wonderful gesture. And I, I, I talked to them for a moment. I told them how much I appreciated that. And they, I said, just give it to Christy. Christy, take care of it. I said, I, I need to get out of here. On my way out, this individual stopped me. Of course, I'm going up there to greet them, but I'm, I'm going to greet them and go. But they stopped me. 
and they said, Pastor, I didn't know why I was coming here tonight. But I believe the Lord sent me here to encourage you. And they took my hand and they put a little mustard seed in my hand. And they said, keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing and have faith in the Lord. I thought they were crazy. I said, that's a crazy person came to church tonight. They closed my hand. I never saw that person again. Maybe they were crazy. But God sure did use them to pour some life into me. And I left that church and I went to that guy's house and I sat down with him and we walked through some very hard things together that night. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what path you're supposed to be on. He knows what path you will be on. And he knows how to put the right people in the path to help you get where you're supposed to be going. Trust him. Trust his providence. Let's close. Well, I'm not going to quite close. Look at his power. Verse 16. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even until the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered how much? Isn't that what God said would happen? And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that had taken, they had taken to them. David recovered all. And God even gave him some more. Verse 20, and David took all the flocks and the herds which they had drave before those other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. They even got extra. Say, how many Amalekites were there? Evidently not enough. Despite their weariness, despite their great distress, despite the tear-stained, dirty faces, despite some of them so given out that they can't pursue any further and had to stay behind and now we have less than we started with and we're troubled. God gave them the power to overcome their enemies and recover all, just like God said it would do. God gives us the power that we need. And then we see his provision. We'll close out the chapter here. In verses 21 through 25, we see that David shows grace to the 200 who stayed behind. And David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bezor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. I wish all the people felt that way. Some are not so gracious. Verse 22, then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial of those that went with David and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. So what are they saying? We'll give them their wives and their children, but they're not getting anything else. As a matter of fact, when we get settled in, they can leave us. They left us to fight for ourselves. 
They didn't leave you to fight for themselves. They didn't have the strength to fight at all. And if you've never been there, you will be there at some point. And they don't need to be kicked and held down and pushed back. When David came back to them, he saluted them. That was still his people. Those were still his friends. Say, they wanted to stone him. They did want to stone him. Didn't change his heart for them. Because he was encouraged in the Lord. And when he was encouraged in the Lord, he saw God hear his prayer. He saw God give him his word. He saw God provide his power. He saw God's providence. He saw everything, all the steps that led him up to this. And as a matter of fact, what David realized was this. We never did anything. It was God who did it through us. So I'm not going to say anything bad about them. If they could, they would be with us. But they are dead tired. They are wore out. They are give out. And there is coming a day where David's going to be there. He says, no. Verse 23. Then said David, you shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall this part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. That's grace. And then lastly, David remembered those who helped him in his past. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To them which were in Bethel, and to them which were in South Ramoth, and to them which were in Jader, and to them which were in Aurora, and to them which were in Sifmoth, and to them which were in Eshtimoa, and to them which were in Rachel, and to them which were in the cities of the, Jer- what, the Jeremalites, and to them which were the cities of the Kenites, the one that he said that, yeah, he didn't destroy them, he's helping them. And in verse 30, and to them which were in Hormah, and to them which were in Korashan, and to them which were in Athach, and to them which were in Hebron, and to all the places where David and his men were wont to haunt, where they had traveled, where they had wandered through, and those cities and those people helped them and ministered to them. The spoil that David had, he didn't keep that to himself. He sent that to be a blessing to those who were a blessing to him. Amen? That was a guy who just earlier lost everything. And just earlier, his very closest friends wanted to stone him to death. How did he stay encouraged? He kept his eyes on the Lord. He prayed. He sought the promises of God. He pursued and he got after it. He trusted the Lord to guide his steps, to direct his paths. He leaned not unto his own understanding, but he trusted the Lord. He saw God's providence and God answer, and God going exceedingly abundantly above all that he could ask or think. He experienced God's power because when they were few in number, they were still able to overcome. And he took everything that God gave him, And he provided it as a blessing to others. That's how you stay encouraged. That's how you stay encouraged. Keep your eyes off people. Keep your eyes off what you're doing. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Remember why you're doing it. If you don't know why you're doing it, you'll never never stick with it. I've said this many, many times, and I'm going to leave you this, okay? When I was, when I was, let's see, I think 
it was in the early days of 19. I was 19 years old. And I took a, I took a job with a grass cutting company in Huntsville. Um, it was a small company. We had one truck. There were four of us. There was the boss who drove the truck, and three of us crammed in the truck. And we cut grass all day long. It was hot. It was hard. And it was around that time, not long after that, that my life started getting straightened out and I started attending church. And I got in the Bible and God was doing a great work. And I'd worked there for a couple of years and about the second year I'm in, now we've expanded. I'm a crew leader. We have two trucks now. I'm leading a crew. I'm getting paid a whopping seven and a half dollars an hour and I thought I was making money. We were cutting, we were off Zert Road in a subdivision called um, Edgewater. We were cutting shrubs. And the Lord was starting to put me in the ministry. I felt the Lord was doing something in my life. And my boss said, you'll never stay with it. I never forgot that. You'll never stay with it. There have been many times where that was almost true. The only way you stay with it, it is the Lord. Right, Michael Bell? It is the Lord. That, would, that, that almost encouraged me. Well, that guy was on the pulpit committee of a church in Huntsville. Great encourager. I found out recently that he sold his huge business now. And the guy who used to work under me now is the main guy who runs the company. And my former boss was contacted by investors in Miami and he sold out and walked away with millions. Millions, millions of dollars. And the guy that worked under me, he said, I didn't, I didn't get retirement money, but he was pretty good to me. His boss blessed his faithfulness and gave him a pretty good pay cut out of those millions of dollars. Whew, I'm in the ministry. <laughs> Would you change anything in the world, Larry Culp? People would discourage you. Get your eyes back on the Lord. Remember why you're doing it. And keep trusting Him. Encourage yourself in the Lord when everything else is against you because God still loves you. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray tonight, I pray that this message is in a help.